Hey guys. Yeah, I have props. All right. Uh, okay, today hopefully is going to be a good day. Um, today is the uh, shortest day of the year. Do you guys know that? could also be the shortest sermon of my entire history. Um, we'll do the best that I can. Um, we do have kids here, and I uh, try to honor that. And uh, Hey, a lot of you guys are wearing black. Good job. Black's a cool color. It's in. All right. It's Christmassy. All right. All right. It's a new Christmas color. Okay, here's what we're going to do this morning. I want to welcome you. My name is Brian, as James said. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, today we're actually going to do a message on Christmas. We just finished up a whole series that we've been doing on Sunday mornings called Theology. Uh, We wrapped all that up last week. Last week was our last message on that. Um, Today we're going to be talking a little bit about Jesus because uh, that's about what Christmas is about. Um, Come the first of the year, after the first of the year, we're going to begin a brand new series. We're going to be going through the uh, book of Ezra. If you guys have never read the book of Ezra, it's a very short uh, book, not very long at all. It should take us maybe nine months, somewhere around there, to uh, work our way through it, and uh, we'll see. But uh, no, probably like around s- summertime is when we'll probably finish around that. Um, but uh, I'd encourage you guys, read upon the book of Ezra. Um, most people are familiar with like the book of Nehemiah, uh, and less familiar with Ezra. Ezra takes place just before Nehemiah. Ezra and Nehemiah were probably buddies, hung out around Jerusalem, ate falafel together, and they worked on a very, very big project for God. Ezra helped uh, build the temple. Nehemiah helped take care of the outer portions of the city of Jerusalem, the walls. So read up on Ezra. should be an encouraging book for you guys, and uh, we'll get to work on it sometime around the beginning of the first of the year. So with that being said... What I want to do right now is I'm going to pray, and then we'll get to work at uh, what we're going to be taking a look at here this morning. So if you guys wouldn't mind, join me. We're going to pray. We'll get to work. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your grace, for the fact that you have stepped into our world. And God, I ask you this morning that if for some reason just that simple phrase has become so uh, common that it doesn't move us, it doesn't affect us, it doesn't impact us, Pray that somehow, some way, this morning, through the power of your Spirit, uh, through the proclamation of your Word, Lord, that it would become real to us, that it would hit us, that it would affect us this morning. Uh, God, we want more uh, this Christmas than just simply an exchange of gifts. Uh, God, we want to be able to interact with the living God. And so we ask you that you would do that this morning, even here right now, and help fuel our hearts for the next few days to come and uh, really even on leading into a whole brand new year of just understanding how great the gospel is that we get to be a part of, that you've called us to be a part of. And we ask all these things here this morning in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, well, the, the funny thing is that we've kind of entered into a really strange period of time. Uh, it's strange in that fact that everything changes this time of year. And uh, Christmas, everything changes. It almost feels as if a lot of times Christmas has begun uh, earlier and earlier every year, right? I mean, it's just like even before Halloween, people are already out like Christmas shopping. It's the weirdest thing, right? I don't, know, I don't understand what it is, but it's something about Christmas that everybody gets really excited. Everybody changes. A lot of things happen that we normally don't do throughout the rest of the year, right? From the things that we uh, buy, we spend a lot of time stressing about our finances, buying things for people that sometimes people don't even want, 
really even need. We stress out about finances because we don't have it. We work new ways, new angles. We jump on new credit card offers because it's like we've got to get the stuff somehow. We've got to keep building it. We've got to keep buying it because that's what the television's telling me to do. Right? We sort of change, even from the things that we eat. Right? I mean, nobody, nobody throughout the rest of the year, I mean, like mid-July, nobody comes home on a Wednesday night like, you know what I really want tonight? Candied yams. Candied yams. Yeah. Candy, you know, I mean, nobody thinks like that. I mean, eggnog lattes, right? Gingerbread lattes. I mean, we just, we, we, we do things that we normally never do, ever. Right? We talk to people, right, that we have not spoken to for 364 days. Right? And it's just everything changes. Everything gets transformed on this particular time of year. And here's the reality. Uh, December 26th comes around, right? You're already on you're like your sixth pack of batteries, all right? You're walking around the house in sweats for the sole purpose, because it's got an elastic waistband, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, oh, I ate too many candied yams, right? We, everything changes. And, and here's the thing. September, or December 26th comes around, and it's, it's back to life as normal again. Everything goes... Here's the other thing. We don't even think about the fact that there's a holocaust of between 60 to 65 million pine trees. Alright? Alright? Not only that, it gets worse. We take those pine trees, we drag them into our house... Never, ever throughout the rest of the year do we take a dead tree, bring it into our house, ever, let alone decorate it. All right, put lights on it, put little trains around it at the bottom, right? Put a little bed skirt around it. Turn on lights and just like, ah, isn't this romantic? No, it's really weird. It's weird. We just never do this type of stuff, and we never think twice about why we even do it. We just simply do it. So Christmas will be all over. You'll be sitting around the house with six brand new sweaters that you don't even like, with machines that are making all sorts of noises that you can't wait till they just break. And the reality is, everything you get right now is going to be items for your garage sale in spring. Right? Am I telling the truth? It's the way it is. Here's the reality. I want you guys to have more than that. I really do. Because what happens is we spend, we are created to be in awe of greatness. Right? We were created that way so that we would stand in amazement of greatness. That our hearts would be moved by great things. The problem is, is because we're fallen people, we settle for trash. We settle for things that are worthless. Maybe they sparkle for a little bit, but then they lose their shine, lose their sparkle, lose their savor, and then we're bored with it. And we wonder why we keep upgrading, keep buying, and keep being dissatisfied. Because we were made for greatness. We were made for God, who is great. Right? Hopefully, you guys come... Christmas Eve or Christmas morning, you'll read the Christmas story, all right? And you'll read about 
the story either in Matthew's account or Luke's account about how Jesus came into this world. He was in a manger. And we looked at this a few weeks ago. And the reality of this is that is not where the story of Christmas begins. That is not where the story begins. And so oftentimes we start right there. And here's the problem that I think we have. What happens is we find ourselves hearing the story about Jesus in a manger. We grow a little bit tired of that pretty quickly. It just becomes sort of routine, normal, commonplace, mundane. It doesn't move us. It doesn't affect us. It doesn't impress us anymore. I mean, it has a shelf life. I mean, here's the reality. I, mean, I remember when I was a kid, right? I, I, I'd wake up at like 3 in the morning, super pumped for Christmas, all right? And, and now, I'm like 8 o'clock, 7.30, you know, I wake up, and it's just like, it's no big deal to me anymore. I mean, I enjoy having Christmas morning. I enjoy hanging out with the family. I enjoy doing all those things. But it doesn't move me the way that it used to do, the way that it used to. And what I want to be able to have for you guys is for all of us to not just simply be affected momentarily or temporarily by the story of Jesus in the manger. That's only part of the reality. It is a big part of it. It's a beautiful part of it, but it's only part of it. And if for some reason that's only the picture that we have in our mind is Jesus in a manger, and that's about it, or a handful of wise men hanging out, bringing gifts, or angels, or animals, and whatever your perspective or picture of that particular moment is, if that's all it is, I just simply want to say that's incomplete, and it won't bring eternal, lasting satisfaction about the eternal God. Because really the story of Christmas takes place long before that. So what I want to do, because again, hopefully you guys will read up already in your own times the stories of that Christmas moment, that moment where Jesus comes into the world as a baby in a manger, either in Matthew's account or Luke's account, whatever. What I want to do this morning is I want to just kind of brief our minds, read a little passage out of the book of Philippians in chapter 2 about this little story, not so much Jesus in the manger, about really what happens or takes place prior to Jesus coming into the manger. So with that, if you guys wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Paul writes this story, and I think it's important, first of all, to know why Paul even adds this story in here. Paul's actually writing to a group of people, and he's encouraging them to love one another. Right? He's encouraging them. You guys love one another. Be kind to one another. And I think that's a good message for some of us to hear Christmas time. We get a little bit excited. We have certain expectations. You know, we think we're going to be getting something, and it doesn't happen. We get grumpy, right? We're all humans. So Paul makes this appeal. He says, listen... Just love one another. Be kind to one another. Treat each other with, with, with respect and with dignity. And what he does to sort of establish the weightiness of his argument or try to use an illustration, he uses this illustration of God. And the illustration that he makes of God is that God becomes a man. Right? He becomes a man. He humbles himself, steps into our world, and ultimately will die for our sins but what Paul does in this particular story, he's not so much interested in terms of the redemptive act of Christ. He is elsewhere, but not so much here in this particular setting. What he's mo- mostly concerned about here is sort of the exemplary aspect of Christ. Jesus died. He loves. He gives. So therefore, you guys do that. That's kind of the point where Paul's going with all this. 
So what I want to do is I want to read this little bit of this little story. Um, really, the section that we're going to read is about it's sort of like a song. Many people believe it's sort of Paul's first actual like song. I want to read this to you. I'm going to begin really at verse one. We'll kind of get the whole context. I'm going to read down to about verse eleven. Then we'll make some comments and we'll finish. I think. All right, verse one. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only after his own interests, but also after the interests of others. Have this mind in you, have this mind in yourselves, which is also in Christ Jesus, in verse 6. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Okay, here's what I want to do is I want to try to bring this story to life. And there's basically three main phrases that I want to focus on this morning. And uh, I'm going to actually need some helpers, and I'll tell you what I'm, going to, I'm looking for in just a second here. So before you raise your hand and volunteer, you'll need to know what you're getting into. But first of all, what we're going to be looking at are three specific phrases. Okay? The first phrase is really the idea of being in the form of God. Paul says that Jesus was in the form of God. All right? Paul also says that Jesus was in equality with God. He says even though he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, meaning he was even though he was equal with God or is equal with God, it was something that he, didn't, he, was, he was able to relinquish. Not his position or his role as God, but it wasn't something he felt like I'm, I'm, he had to hold on to. He didn't feel like it needed to be grasped because he knew who he was. And the third phrase that we'll be taking a look at is the little section right after that. He says, who, though being in the form of a servant, he was in the form of a servant. So first of all, the form of God, equality with God, two things that are sort of coupled together. And then what happens is this uh, translation or this um, uh, change where he goes from being in the form of God, being equality with God in this particular realm, then into our world as a servant. All right? That's, that's really what happens at Christmas. So, Here's what I'm going to need this morning, all right? And I'm doing this because, for one, I don't have PowerPoint, all right? And we've got a lot of kids here. So I'm really normally not that great at this type of stuff, but we'll see how good this goes today. So what I'm going to need right now is I'm going to need a few volunteers. And I'll tell you what we need, all right? First of all, we need somebody that's going to play the role of a king. Now, first of all, you need to be someone that can be expressive, okay? Because I'm going to... Someone that... Um, you know, you got a lot of expression, you can be excitable, you can, you know, you can be like a drama student, right? If you're like high drama, right, and you can't nominate somebody else here, right? If you're high drama, I, I need you, okay? And if it's a woman, we can put a robe on you and kind of make you a female king, that's okay. 
That's okay. So, first of all, anybody want to be a king? Anybody want to be a king? Come on. You can't leave me hanging like this. Okay, who's that back there? Ryan, okay, come on up here, buddy. Ryan's going to be my king. Okay, here's what else I need. I need four... Uh, okay, here, first of all, I'm going to give him a robe. Okay, here you go, Ryan. He's got a king, kingly robe. All right? You got that? Okay, you, got to, you know how to put that on there? There you go. You've got to make sure that everybody sees your badge. It's really important. There you go. Okay, here's kings are high, so go up there. There you go. All right, there you go. Okay, we got our king. Next, I need a... Every king's got to have, you know, powerful subjects. And, uh, like, God... Alright, God has powerful subjects that surround him. They're called angels or archangels. They're very powerful. So, in our metaphor, in our story, a king has got to have some powerful subjects. So, I'm looking for now guys that are like a warrior. Or you can be a female warrior. That's cool too. Or like a, a knight. Or, let's say you're really, really rich. You're like a powerful lord. Alright? So, I'm looking for warriors, knights, uh, lords, rich people. have got a lot of power. Anybody? Okay, come on up here. Who else? You can be adults too if you want. That's cool. All right, come on up here, buddy. Suey, come on. He's in the service. He really is. He's back. All right. Okay, I'll take one more. One more. Warrior, knight, powerful servant, powerful you know, mover and shaker. You can be a politician. Anybody. One more. One more. One more. You guys are leaving me hanging. I need a pick. Okay, come on up, Tim. Okay. All right, thank you. All right, here's what we need to do now. Okay, you guys have to go up on stage because you're surrounding the king. And you guys pay homage and tribute to the king. You respect the king. You guys are his loyal subjects. Loyal subjects. All right. Uh, next, I need a humble servant. Anybody wants to be a humble servant? Humble servant. Okay, come on up. Come on up. He's humble. Very humble. Okay, you can stand down here because that's where humble servants hang out. All right. All right. And uh, finally, I need one more. This is just kind of like the, uh, the person that's part of the whole play here. It's kind of like the antagonizer. This is the person that's going to be, I'll just kind of call this person who plays the role of grief. They're, you're not so much a character as much as you're somebody that's going to really antagonize the humble servant, right? You're full of grief. You're the person that's like picking on them. Usually, okay, all right, it's his wife. All right. Right. Uh, hey, I do free counseling too. Free counseling. All right, this is great. Okay, here's what we're going to do right now. We're going to look at the story of Philippians chapter 2, maybe in a different light than what you've normally been used to. Okay, here's what the story is going to be like. So, the story tells us that Paul writes about this, and he says Jesus is king, right? That he starts out, before he comes into this world, he is God. Okay? He's high, he's exalted, he's glorified, he's in 
uh, the heavens with the Lord. He's righteous. He's powerful. Then comes this moment in time where he steps into our world. Then he goes back to glory. So the story of Christmas doesn't begin in a manger. It actually begins hundreds, millions, trillions, however long, infinity before that moment. So here's kind of what happens. So first of all, the concept of being in the form of God and having equality with God. What I think Paul's trying to communicate here is that Jesus, as God, also shares the same attributes as God. Here's a few examples of some of the attributes that Jesus, in the form of God, and in equality with God, would have shared. Here's a couple examples. So now this is where the king has got to be a little bit... Um, You've got to try to live out some of these examples, okay? Here's, here's one. He's powerful. He's powerful. So be a powerful king. All right. He's a powerful king. All right. Uh, here's another one. He's a cheap architect, meaning he thinks up everything that's going to be built. Then he builds it. Then he sustains it all. He's holding everything up. All right? That's the king. Uh, all right? So I don't know if there's any way to kind of live that one out or express it out, but you can do your best. All right. Here, here's another one. The king, Jesus, lives in a place we call heaven, right? Whatever that is exactly. We're not completely certain, but it's this presence of God. It's beautiful. It's, it's ultimate beauty. There's passages throughout the Bible that describe it. Uh, some of the words that are used to describe it is God dwells in unapproachable light, right? Just unbelievable beauty is where God dwells. Alright, Jesus is in this particular place. Here's another one. He's honored and served by all that are in his heavenly host. Okay, so you guys are going to honor and serve the king. Alright? Good job. Alright, there we go. Polish his shoes, his vans, make sure that they're looking nice. There we go. Good job. Alright. He's honored and served by all of these powerful creatures and beings. Here's another one. He possesses all wealth. All right? First Chronicles 29, verse 12. It says he possesses all wealth. So you're a very, very rich guy. Got a lot of money, a lot of goods. All right? Here's another one. What do you do? <laughs> He's got unlimited power. We looked at that. He's got unlimited wisdom. All right? Really smart. All right? So he's super smart. Got unlimited power, unlimited wealth. This is the king. So here's what Paul is going to basically go on to say that this king, King Jesus, who dwells in light unapproachable, in the beauty of the heavens, surrounded by a host of powerful beings that always give him homage and glory and proclaim praises to him. This is Basically what happens in Isaiah chapter 6, there's just a brief moment where Isaiah sees this, this whole scenario where there's the king, he's being worshipped, and these powerful beings are shouting, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And he's just blown away by this reality. And this is a picture, this is where Jesus dwells. This is where he has always dwelled. So what Paul goes on to say, take a look at the verse again in verse 6. Who though he was in, though he was in the form of God... He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped. Okay? Verse 7 is where everything sort of changes. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Alright, now we're going to kind of switch down from heaven down to earth. 
Okay, you're going to stay there for just a moment there. So here's, we've got our servant. He's trying to work along and, you know, he's trying his best to afford clothes that he can get that don't have stains on them and stuff like that. And he's, he's, he's doing his heart. He's doing his best. And now, he's got an antagonizer that's always giving him grief, all right? Always causing problems, always, you know, kicking him when he's down. He's dealing with sickness sometimes. There's times when he gets impoverished and he gets really stressed and, you know, because he's behind in the bills. Grief is constantly just nagging him, all right? And so it's just really kicking him down. So grief, you've got to be a little bit more like grief, grief, they're oppressive. There you go. There you go. Good job. All right. That, that was good. Not bad. Okay. So really, grief is just this constant nag. All right. Not in real life, but, but, but in the story, just this constant nag, constantly causing problems. That's what grief does. So what happens, Paul basically makes the point, he says, Jesus, who was in the form of God, who was in equality with God, does not count this thing a thing to be grasped. Meaning... He is willing to let go or to lay aside certain attributes of his godhood. Certain attributes, certain characteristics. Never leaving behind the throne. Even though it may be a walking away from for a period, even though Jesus was here on the earth, he was always God. Always God. Always had and possessed certain elements and characteristics of his godhood. So what happens is Paul goes on to say that Jesus then comes into our world and in verse 7 he says, who though he was made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Okay? So now, king, what you're going to do is you're going to take off your robe, which symbolizes everything that you are. You're going to walk down into the world. You can jump down if you want. There you go. And so the king comes into our world, takes off his clothing in a sense that signifies infinite majesty and righteousness, still maintaining the fact that he's king, but now he clothes himself in something else. God literally becomes a man. This has never happened. This has never taken place. This is the miracle of all miracles. God miraculously impregnates a teenage peasant girl that lives in a, forgot, in a forgotten part of the great Roman Empire and he basically is born into this little family somewhere off in you know, Podunk town and he is basically brought up in this portion of the world and he's raised. He, here's some examples of what Jesus had gone through in his life. We're told that he was conceived within a virgin's womb. He was birthed. Alright? So everything that you can think about being birthed, or going through the birthing process, Jesus gone through. Everything that a little baby experiences growing up for the first few months, Jesus would have done. Don't mean to bring any type of disrespect, but God no doubt would have even soiled himself. Okay? My point in that is just to simply state, this is the depths to which the king of all glory subjects himself. This is what Paul's saying. Okay? Here's some other examples. 
Jesus comes, he even has a human soul. Jesus is circumcised the eighth day. Takes upon this particular practice. Basically, it's a way of identifying himself with mankind, and he would have been part of sort of this covenant. Um, we're also told in Luke chapter 2, verse 52, that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. So in his manhood, there were things that Jesus learned. All right? The God who knows all things, as a human being, learned certain things. All right? Not in the way that we oftentimes think about learning through trial and error, but rather learned. He learned new things as a human being, though being God. This is the God of all gods, who is always worshipped, always adored by all great powerful beings throughout eternity past, for this brief moment in time steps into our world and learns. We're also told that Jesus experiences the same type of um, emotions that we have experienced. We're told that Jesus would have wept. Jesus would have been hungry. He would have known what hunger pains felt like. Jesus would have had times where he felt thirsty. Here's one that always blows my mind. Jesus felt tired. There were moments when Jesus is walking on these long journeys and he comes to a place where he just sits down on a rock because he's tired. The all-powerful God in man got tired. Okay? Those are some of the examples. Jesus would have slept. Jesus would have felt sorrow. He would have felt the pain of what it means to be betrayed. Jesus would have felt shame. Okay? Now think about this. Shame is a pretty profound type of emotion. It's hard to describe. People who have been shamed rarely live to tell about it. I'll give you an example. How many people do you know that have been radically shamed because of something really dumb they did? Maybe writes a book about it. Most people don't read the book because who wants to read a book about a guy who's shameful? Who wants to go see his movie? All right? They're just not blockbuster hits. Jesus would have felt shame. He would have felt betrayal. Jesus would have been whipped and felt pain. Jesus would have died on the cross and felt the sense of rejection. All of these were types of emotions and things which the King of all glory would have allowed Himself to embrace and to feel. Here's one of my favorite ones, okay? We're told that Jesus was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. I love this, okay? This concept of Him being a man of sorrows, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God who has worshipped and adored throughout all eternity prior to the Incarnation, comes into our world and says that he was a man of sorrows, he felt pain, but he was acquainted with grief. In the original Hebrew, that word acquainted literally means to embrace. So grief, who's been causing all sorts of problems to humanity, servant, Jesus walks up to, hey, this is where you've got to give a hug. Jesus, the king, would walk up and embrace grief. All right? There you go. He gives a side hug to grief. He gives a side hug to grief. Hebrew is a little bit stronger than that. He embraces grief with all of his might and says, I will be acquainted with this. I will embrace this. I will become one with grief. This is the story, guys, of the Incarnation. This is the story of what Jesus does coming into our world. It doesn't begin at the manger. 
It begins long before that, where the God who ruled all things, who created all things, who owns all things, who's the architect of all things, who's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-caring, scripts out this whole narrative and says, at some point in history, during the climax of the Roman Empire, I will humble myself and become a man. That's the story of Christmas. That's what I hope we experience this year. You guys, thanks. Thank you. Let's give them a round of applause. You guys are awesome. Thank you. You guys, I want for you guys to experience something more than Christmas. Because the bottom line is this. is By the end of the day, if all you get is just a bunch of presents that are going to go away in a few short months, then you miss the most glorious gift of all. The fact that God steps into our world, steps into our existence, embraces that which constantly nags us, that which constantly destroys us, that which constantly mocks us, grief and death and pain and hardship. And He says, I will do away with it. I will destroy it. Death will not have the final word. Cancer will not have the final word. Sorrow will not have the final word. Pain will not have the final word. Grief will not have the final word. I will have the final word. That's the God that we have. That is so full of love. That's the God that I hope you guys understand and see and love and worship this Christmas season.
God, we thank you for the gift that you've given us of your Son. And Lord, I pray that this morning, leading on to this week, and really on into a whole brand new year, God, I pray that the truth of the Son becoming incarnate for us, to lay his life down for us, to die, to rise it again from the dead, to bring the second birth, God, that we would have a whole new backdrop to place behind the manger scene. And God, that that would be what fuels worship and awe and raise our hearts to just understand that you are a great God. You're not a boring God. You are a God that captivates our attention, that, that is just worthy of our praise. And Lord, we pray that from this day forward as we go out of here that you would help us just to carry the reality of that in all things that we do whatever family we visit whoever comes to us we see Lord we pray that somehow you would help us just to be agents that would just bring forth the beauty of the incarnation we thank you God for all the great things you've given us we are truly a very blessed and gifted group of people God all of the blessings and benefits that you've given to us here Lord, we ask you as well that you would help us to see how that we maybe can become like Jesus and just use the gifts that you've given us to bless other people, to give things away, to live generously in such a way, God, that's just like you. Help us, we pray. We ask all these things in Jesus' great name. All together we say, Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Christmas. See ya.